Welcome to the 203rd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host for today, Patrick Winograd. In this edition, our topics are a brief overview of my weekend predictions, a recap of the NBA playoffs, and our weekly look at MLB action. So let's jump right in with a look back at my weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. Starting in the NBA, I went 2-2 two and two in NBA predictions, and in the MLB, I also went 2-2, two and two, which meant that I went 4-4 four and four combined. And that brought me to a 714 and 463 overall record, still at a 60.7 winning percentage. Uh, although it's getting closer, rounding down, rounding down to 60.6. So, got to get back on it next week and uh, figure it out so that that win percentage goes up again. But speaking of that win percentage and those predictions, I'll go through what happened. Um, I picked the Celtics to beat the Hawks, closing out the series in Game Six. They won 128 to 20. That was a win. Um, I picked the Lakers to beat the Grizzlies in Game 6, close out that series. They did so, winning 125-85. to uh, I picked the Kings to beat the... Or sorry, I picked the Warriors to beat the Kings. Um, the Kings won Game 6, 118-99, to keep that series alive uh, on the road. And then I picked the Nuggets... Or sorry, I picked the Suns to beat the Nuggets, and the Nuggets beat the Suns, 125-107 to in Game 1 of the Western Conference Semifinals as we now have predictions from multiple rounds at the same time. Although next week it will just be the semifinal predictions. But for now, let's keep talking about these games. Uh, I thought I did pretty well. You know, the Nuggets beating the Suns was somewhat of a surprise, but maybe I could have seen it coming considering the Suns have had some issues rebounding and the Nuggets, you know, they have that guy, Nikola Jokic. He's kind of good at rebounding. Uh, But I thought that the Suns would figure it out because they did eventually in the series with the Clippers and then as we know now, and we'll talk about it later, they didn't even figure it out in time for Game 2, but that that's an interesting storyline to watch in that series. Um, and then in the Kings game, I just didn't expect them to be able to beat the Warriors on the road in a situation where the Warriors had a chance to close out the series. But I'll move on to the MLB now, um, starting with the Blue Jays, who took two of three from the Mariners this weekend. Um, it was a good series for the Blue Jays. Getting a series victory is obviously always a positive thing. However, they did choke a lead in the final game of the series against uh, the Mariners, which that's something that you don't like to see if you are a Blue Jays fan. Uh, but, you know, they were still able to take the series overall. But, you know, they were down 4 to nothing in the top of the first, and they rallied and were up 8-4 to four, uh, by the third inning in the final game and then let the Mariners get all the way back into it, scoring four in the final four innings and then scoring two in the tenth to win it. So, yeah, not the best if you're the Blue Jays, Um, but at the same time, they got a series victory. They've been playing well overall. Um, We will talk more about that later, but many games above 500 doing what they need to do to secure a playoff spot. They're starting the year well, not digging themselves into a hole that they can't dig themselves out of. Um, And then moving on from that, the Red Sox took two of three from the Guardians. I really went back and forth on this series, ended up landing on picking the Guardians, but got that prediction wrong. Um, not too mad about that. You know, it is what it is. So the Red Sox, uh, end up taking that series and then actually got a walk off yesterday to keep their winning ways going. Uh, but then you have the Brewers who took two of three from the Angels. I picked that one correctly. And then the Phillies took two of three from the Astros. Phillies took the first two. Astros took the final game of that series. So overall, a decent week in predictions. You know, one of these games goes the other way in a very close game and all of a sudden 
you know, the Suns make a comeback or the the Guardians take game three and I'm at five and three this week, which is doesn't seem that different from four and four because it is only a one game difference, but winning percentage wise it does make a big difference. But overall, I'm still happy with it. Um so it's a good week. I've had some rough weeks recently, so I'm happy to get back into the win column, sort of, at least at 500 for the week. But as always, my predictions for next week will be posted on Thursday. But let's move on now to the uh, review of the NBA playoffs, starting in the Western Conference, where the Nuggets beat the Timberwolves in five games in the first round. Uh, the only game we didn't cover from the series so far was Game 5, that clincher. So we will talk about that. Uh, the Nuggets won that game, 112-109. to Timberwolves fought very, very hard in this game, but the Nuggets just able to close it out at the end, get the victory. Anthony Edwards missed a shot that could have tied the game uh, at the very end, but, you know, he fought hard. He, he willed his team to that game four win, and I was so impressed with how he played, how he plays really overall at a young age. Uh, but at the same time, it's only about who wins. The Nuggets did win the series. There are no moral victories when you get to the playoffs, and the Nuggets, uh, they know that because they have lost a lot in the playoffs recently after making some decent runs, but they finally are fully healthy, and they are the one seed, and they are doing pretty well this postseason, as we'll get to in a second uh, after we finish our talk of all the round one series, but let's keep moving on. The number seven-seeded Lakers beat the number two-seeded Grizzlies in six games. In Game 5, the Grizzlies won 116-99, to but let's be honest, I didn't really think, and I don't really think most people thought, that the Grizzlies were going to claw their way back into the series after they had won Game si- Game 5, excuse me. Um, it, it, this series just shifted in the Lakers' favor so early on. The Dylan Brooks comments, you know, everybody knows, the Warriors especially know this, I'm mean, the Warriors fans, you know, and especially Clay Thompson. The Grizzlies like to talk a lot, but they really don't talk when they're winning, when they're losing a series, and that's just the one thing that they don't have. You know, they have this little mentality, right? They're they're kind of like the grit and grind Grizzlies, but they really don't have the grit in that they just don't they don't really respond to adversity very well. Um, I don't know if they've come back in a series since they've had this core. I mean, it feels like they have either been in the lead, won the game, whatever, or or they've won a series, and then they've just won that series easily, not with any real challenges. And, you know, in this Lakers series, the, the Grizzlies went up one to nothing. They were talking a lot, and then all of a sudden, the next game, Dylan Brooks says, I'm out to the media, and of course, he eventually gets fined for it because he doesn't, he's basically skipped his media availability. But the fact of the matter is, you can't talk like that and then not back it up, A, on the court, and B, when you're losing still. Um, you know, I, the best example I can point to, speaking of the Warriors, is Draymond Green. I mean, he had a lot of antics going on in the Kings series, but the one difference with him is that it didn't matter if they were down 2 to nothing; He was still going to talk. And in the end, the Warriors did come out and win it, but the fact of the matter is, even if they had lost it, he'd still be talking. He is still talking. That's what he does, and if you're going to be a trash talker, you have to stick to that identity. If you're going to have that identity be kind of your team identity where you're, you know, a little combative with other teams and stuff like that, I mean, you got to keep it up no matter what the score of the series is. Otherwise, it's not your identity, and then as soon as you get down, if you're going to change your identity, you don't have an identity. Um, and in the end, the Lakers came back in Game 6, and they said, all right, we've had enough of, the, uh, of this series. Um, and... 
you know, LeBron, AD, they were all really good in Game 6, but the Lakers won 125-85. to 85. It, it was a defensive masterclass by the Lakers. That's the reason they won this game. Uh, the Grizzlies just had no chance because they just could not put the ball in the basket all around. Um, so, Lakers get the win in that series, move on to the second round to face the winner of, speaking of the Warriors, because I've talked about them a lot anyway, the number six Warriors and the number three Kings. The Warriors beat the Kings in seven games. The best series of the first round, if you think on the court stuff only. The Lakers Grizzlies had a lot of content going on off the court that maybe made it more entertaining overall. But in terms of the on the court product, I think that the Warriors and the Kings had the best series. Uh, the Warriors won game five, 123 to 116. The Kings won game six, 118 to 99. And the Warriors won game seven, 120 to 100. I'm going to go back through all these games right now. Uh, game five, classic Warriors game, um, except for maybe the the one caveat is that this year they've had their struggles on the road, and they haven't won too many road games, and this game was a road game. Uh, so very, very surprising that the Warriors were able to, maybe not surprising, but th- just a good sign for them that they were able to go on the road, steal a game when they needed it, and swing the series in their favor because the series was tied 2-2 two to two after both teams uh, had won all the home games to make it 2-2 two to two in the first place. But the Kings obviously had home field, so or sorry, home court. So that was very, very important in the series because both of these teams are very, very good at home, and the Warriors especially are pretty bad on the road. Um, but, and, and, you know, I talked about it a long time on the podcast. I said I had faith that the Warriors would turn around their road game issues in the postseason, but I also said if they're not going to win a road game with, with how they are trending in the seeding, they're not going to win a postseason series because of the fact that they're going to get too low of a seed of a seed to host a series. And that is exactly what happened. They didn't host a series, but they were able to go on the road in Game 5, get this clutch win, and then you think, okay, the series is over. The Warriors are just going to win four in a row and then win it all at home, but not so fast. The Kings come back. They win Game 6 on the road, beat the Warriors at the Chase Center where they're nearly unbeatable in the postseason over the last few years, and... All of a sudden, it really feels like this series is a true toss-up. I mean, you have the momentum in the Kings' favor. You have the home court in the Kings' favor with two teams who are much better at home than they are on the road. But you have the last factor that's potentially the most important factor, and that is experience. That is something that the Warriors have a lot of that the Kings do not have really any meaningful playoff experience. Um, And as such, the Warriors, you know, their experience took over in Game 7. They were able to outclass the Kings, play a better game, play a more sound game, uh, especially defensively. Kings just couldn't really bring down a rebound. Kevon Looney had 20-plus rebounds in this game, I think 11 offensive rebounds, and overall, him and Steph pretty much just guided the Warriors to the win. Uh, extra shots were the big story in this game. Uh, as Clay and Andrew Wiggins, they didn't really have great games. Clay made a few shots when he needed to, uh, when the Warriors were kind of making their run in the third quarter, but... Other than that, he was pretty cold. Uh, Not his greatest performance, but at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is who wins, and the Warriors were able to win, much to my dismay, obviously. But you know what? The Kings had a great season. Um, Sacramento fans should be proud. They were proud. They stayed around chanting Sacramento at the end of the game, and you could tell that they really, really had embraced that team, and I think that team is still going to be good next year, although in the offseason or in the draft, they should be looking for a backup big um, to spell Sabonis, especially when he gets injured, because those stretches are pretty rough for the Kings. Um, Alex Len is good, but I don't know if he's as good of a backup as you need for a t- it, the quality of a team that the Kings are trying to be at the end of the day. 
Um, so that'll be something that the Kings have to consider going forward. It might even just be Chemezi Metu, who's already there in the building, and just, you know, promoting him, letting him play more, and see if he can fill that role. Who knows? But that is definitely the Kings' priority, or it should be the Kings' priority in the offseason. But moving on to the final series in the Western Conference first round, the Suns beat the Clippers in five games. Game five, Suns won 136-130. to Closer game than I expected, obviously. No Kawhi, no Paul George for the Clippers. But they were able to still put up a little bit of a fight. I mean, I guess that's a surprise to me. Um, but overall, the Suns were just the better team. It is what it is. Uh, and as a result, they were able to take home this victory and uh, take home the series. Not really much else to say about it. You know, Kevin Durant continues to be very, very efficient throughout the year. That is his. That has been, excuse me, his staple. Um, that he's just so efficient. He will get his buckets, but he won't really take too many shots to get there. Um, and, you know, that was able to lead the Suns to the win in Game 5 and the series victory over the Clippers. Now we will move on to the Eastern Conference first round, where the number 8 Heat upset the number 1 Bucks in five games. The Heat won Game 5 128-126. to I didn't talk about it on the last podcast, so I have to say, Jimmy Butler scored 56 in one of these games in this series. He was just on fire throughout the series, and in the final game, it was more the same. They were down and speaking of what I was talking about with the Grizzlies, there was a point in this game where the Heat were down by four or six points or something like that in the fourth quarter. And you could see Jimmy Butler saying to Drew Holiday, I own you, I own you. It's just crazy how well some players can deal with the adversity and play in the clutch. Jimmy Butler, one of the most clutch players in the NBA. Of course, they now have an award for that. De'Aaron Fox won the first year of it. Um, but... You know, I, I could see some playoff carryover happening from one year to the next in terms of playoff, in terms of that clutch player award in the future. We'll see what happens with that. It's actually a very interesting concept for an award. Um, Fox definitely deserved it this year with how well he played in the clutch and leading the league in clutch points, minutes, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Um, shooting like 65% or something like that in the clutch. But anyway, uh, that's a different uh, tangent. But look, I, Jimmy Butler, he's just... He's just unbelievable. I mean, he, I mean, as 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 much as it, you know, hurts to say, and as hard as it is to say, as you hear me stutter to say it, he outplayed Giannis in this series. I know Giannis missed some games and probably wasn't 100%, but by the time Giannis was back, he wasn't a match for Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler was just better in this series than Giannis was. When Giannis needed, uh, or sorry, when the Bucks needed Giannis the most, he was there, but he wasn't stepping up to the level that Jimmy Butler was for the Heat, who probably needed Jimmy even more than the Bucks needed Giannis when you consider the rest of the cast that are on those teams. Um, but look, I just have to say I'm really, really impressed with the Heat. I did not see this coming. I did say that um, I, I did have them winning their play-in game originally against the Hawks, and then I had them pushing the Celtics one game farther than I had, them, than I had the Hawks pushing the Celtics. But at the same time... They played way better than I expected. I don't care about the injuries. This team deserved their win, and they got it. Uh, but speaking of the Celtics and also the Hawks, um, Game 5, it, or sorry, excuse me, the Celtics beat the Hawks in six games. Now we'll talk about Game 5. The Hawks won 119-117. to The Celtics got some clutch points down the stretch, and you thought that they were going to come out with the victory. But then Trey Young pulled up from 35 feet, hit a three 
ice in his veins. He did the celebration, and all of a sudden, things were going back to Atlanta. The Janet Jackson concert that was double booked at State Farm Arena had to be rescheduled for Friday. <laughs> um, but, you know, to no avail. Let's be honest. Trey Young had a great, great series. Um, Better than he has been in the past in terms of efficiency numbers in the playoffs. About the same number of points. But the Celtics still came out with the win, and that's what matters. They won Game 6 on the road, 128-120, to to close out the series and move on to the Eastern Conference Semis. And now, actually, they have home home court for the rest of the uh, Eastern Conference playoffs. I believe, actually, for the whole playoffs. I think they have a better record than Denver, but I'm not quite sure on that, so don't, don't quote me there. Uh, but the Celtics just overall, you know, it is what it is. They played too well. They were able to beat the Hawks pretty easily. Um, and because of that, they will be moving on. But then you have the Knicks and the Cavs. The number five seeded Knicks beat the number four seeded Cavaliers in five games. Game five, the Knicks won 106 to 95 to close it out. Should mention that Philly also swept the Nets, but they did that so early on that we already talked about every game in that series uh, on the last podcast. So we're not going to talk about it anymore, but they will be playing the Celtics. Uh, in the next round, and we'll talk about the next round in a second. But uh, the Knicks beat the Cavs, won it in five games. Honestly, got to say, maybe second or third biggest surprise of the first round, uh, just because I knew the Cavs had a chance to lose this series. I said on paper, this is the closest series, uh, maybe outside of Kings Warriors, but at the same time, I don't think anybody had the Knicks winning this series in five games, especially with all the concerns surrounding Julius Randle. Would he play? Would he not play? He didn't even play all of Game 5. He got injured in the middle of it and then actually missed Game 1 of the semifinal series. But the fact of the matter is, the Knicks were just able to come out, show that they're a better team than the Cavs. They have better experience. Their trade deadline move, getting Josh Hart really, really paid off, and Jalen Brunson, uh, that move also in the offseason paid off as well. I don't really have much more to say about that series, so uh, we're going to move on. Go to the Western Conference, back to the Western Conference, and go to the semifinals now. The number one seeded Nuggets lead the number four seeded Suns two to nothing. I talked about the first game a little bit earlier. The Nuggets won one twenty-five to one hundred seven. The Suns were shooting fifty-five percent at the half, but were still trailing by I think fifteen or seventeen points, just because they could not grab a rebound. Uh, that has been their big issue really all year long. But the fact of the matter is, they need to pull it together. And the Suns, they just need to rebound. It's that simple. They are able to make shots at a high rate, but they're just not able to contain the Nuggets on the defensive end because of the fact that they're giving them too many extra opportunities and the Nuggets are cashing in on it. And it's the same thing that happened. It's the reason why the Clippers were able to keep that series close. And it's the same thing that happened in Game 1 against the Clippers, which is how they were able to steal that game. Uh, But the Nuggets, they won Game 1, 125-107 to as a result of that rebounding. Second game, a little bit different, better playing, uh, or sorry, better defensive play from both sides in this game, but in the end, didn't matter for the Suns as the Nuggets were able to outplay the Suns on the defensive end, win that game 97-87 to to take a 2-0 series lead. Very, very good sign for the Nuggets that they were able to take this early lead. They put the Suns in a pretty bad place going back to uh, Phoenix for the rest of the se- or for the next two games in the series. Um, but, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm happy that the Nuggets are playing well. Jokic deserves his flowers. This is the year that we're expecting him to finally not win the MVP after winning it two times in a row. And it would be very ironic if the final, if finally the year that he doesn't have 
or sorry, that he does have the playoff success is the year that he doesn't have the individual awards to match it. It would just be kind of ironic, but at the same time, Jokic, he's focused on helping his team. He doesn't care about the NBA race, uh, the MVP race, excuse me, at this point. Um, but speaking of the MVP, LeBron James, Stephen Curry, they're playing in a series. NBA, so happy with all the ratings that they're about to get from this series. Um, it's the old Warriors-Cavs matchups all over again. LeBron's got his old running mate, Tristan Thompson, sitting on the bench. I'm kidding. He's not going to actually play. But look, LeBron versus Steph, it's an iconic matchup, one that's kind of defined this the last maybe really six or seven years of basketball, at least it hasn't recently, but there was the, still the play-in game between the Lakers and the Warriors, between LeBron and Steph. Um, obviously, the Lakers had the championship in the bubble. That was a LeBron championship while the Warriors were struggling with some injury issues. And then you go back to the Cavs-Warriors days, and those were, you know, at this point it seems crazy, but about six or seven years ago uh, at least. Um, so... There were those days. Um, now, looks like we're heading back to those days, maybe at the end of his career, LeBron and Steph reigniting the uh, rivalry a little bit with LeBron dominating the Western Conference, but also Steph dominating the Western Conference. But look, series hasn't started yet. Um, it will start tonight. I'm very excited to watch the series. But without further ado, my pick for the series, I have the Warriors in seven games. I think it will be super close, as I mentioned, one of the most hyped-up series that this postseason could have gotten, and it did break that way. Um, I'm excited. That's all I can say. Let's move on to the Eastern Conference semifinals, where the number eight seeded Heat lead the number five seeded Knicks one to nothing. The Heat able to pull out a game one victory. They won 108 to 101, um, a result that I could say is surprising, but at the same time, the Heat already upset the Bucks. So there's really nothing that they can't do in the postseason that will, or sorry, nothing that they can do in the postseason uh, that will really surprise me at this point. Uh, also, Julius Randle wasn't playing in this game. I'm not too worried with the Knicks. I still have them winning the series, but maybe a little bit closer than I expected in the first place. Probably going to be a seven-game series. Probably going to be a very entertaining series. Um, and then you have the number three 76ers who lead the number two Celtics one to nothing. Game one, the 76ers won 119-115. What an odd game this was. I mean, you have no Joel Embiid, and you just assume that, let's be honest, you just kind of assume that the Celtics are going to go out and win this really easily. Jason Tatum has 26 points in the first half, and the Celtics still only barely lead the game. So, you know, it is a three-point lead at the half. So you think that now, okay, maybe the Sixers do have a chance, and all of a sudden, James Harden in the second half, 45 points in the game, six assists to go with that. Maybe his best postseason performance ever. Um, it was just, I mean, it was crazy what Harden was able to do in this game, uh, and then hit the dagger to ice the game as well, hit that three at the end, um, after Maxi got a steal on a near shot clock violation and errant pass, just, again, some weird things going on in this game, you gotta look up that play if you haven't already, um, but in the end, Sixers win it, 119-115, to they deserve the win, uh, and now we will see what happens with Joel Embiid's injury status for the rest of the series, we, the Celtics, not a good start to the series. Losing game one at home is always bad, but also when your opponent doesn't have their star and literally the MVP of the league probably, it's a pretty bad thing to do to drop game one no matter where you are, but especially when you're at home. But that's all I have for the NBA this week. 
I say all I have, like I didn't just talk maybe 20 minutes or so. Um, but let's move to the MLB with our weekly review, starting as always in the American League East. In the AL East, you have the Tampa Bay Rays at the top. They are 23-6 and on the year, the best team in MLB. Um, as my dad mentioned, though, going to be tough for them to, bear, to break that 35-5 and record. Well, they didn't. They already have six losses. Um, a walk-off loss on the road to the White Sox, very, very surprising, um, is the reason why they are not going to get there. Um, and also some losses to the Astros at home, although I had mentioned their tough schedule. But fact of the matter is, that's a hard record to break. The Rays still have a 793 winning percentage on the year, um, which is just crazy. And they're still leading a team that has the second best record, sorry, third best record in all of baseball um, by three and a half games. So that's just crazy. Speaking of that team, that would be the Baltimore Orioles. They are 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. Really, this whole division is on fire, except for the team that's in the basement. That's a surprise team down there. Uh, but a plus 25 run differential, good run production from the Orioles, 147 runs on the year, one of the better numbers in the AL. Um, their players are just playing up to expectations. Their prospects are blooming early in their careers, and just overall, they're playing very well as a team. They play a good brand of baseball. They're fun to watch. Very, very uh, happy with the Orioles, happy that they're doing well. Um, also, Jorge Mateo having a resurgent season. He was the guy who, you know, everybody figured would be kind of Cast aside when the prospects came up, Gunnar Henderson, namely, um, the guy that should have replaced him. But instead, Mateo has responded with an amazing season from the plate. He he really is a very good speed guy, and that's kind of what he's known for, speed and defense. Or really just speed, but last year improved his defense a lot to keep himself kind of in the mix. And this year, he has like an 1,000 OPS on the season. So now all of a sudden, you can't even talk about him as being the guy that they have to cast aside, he's going to be the main guy. Um, Gunnar Henderson's still playing all over the place, but not taking over at shortstop like many thought he might because of the fact that Jorge Mateo has played so well. Then you have the Blue Jays. They are 7-3 in their last 10, despite losing their last two. 18-11 overall, a very good start to the season, very respectable start for a pretty good and well-put-together roster. And then surprisingly, I still haven't said the Yankees yet. Well, they're in last. Team in fourth is the Boston Red Sox. I bet Red Sox fans are very happy to see this little streak uh, that's going on. They have won three in a row while the Yankees have lost four in a row. So the Yankees went from 15 and 11 to 15 and 15, while the Red Sox went from 13 and 14 to 16 and 14. Um, and the Red Sox now fourth place in the division, although, you know, it's not something to celebrate. But the fact of the matter is they have scored the third most runs in the whole American League. They are only behind the Rangers and the Rays, who have had great starts to the season. So... The Red Sox offense, their lineup is their lineup is up and down, very very solid. Um, I would say as expected, but I don't know if it's as expected. I'll, I'll just say that they are playing very well as a team. Then you have the Yankees, who they have a plus one run differential at fifteen and fifteen. But the fact of the matter is, they're three and seven in their last ten. They've lost four in a row, and it just looks really really bad at the moment because they are down Aaron Judge, they're down Giancarlo Stanton. They're down a lot of guys, and their injury issues are not going to stop at the moment. So they're just going to have to figure out a way to win without those players, but they really haven't figured it out yet, and it's caused them to slide really, really heavily. But speaking of sliding, um, the AL Central, there are basically no good teams in this division. The Twins have a three-game lead over the Guardians, who are in second place, but the Twins' record is 17-12. and It's not really anything 
ridiculous. Um, they're the only team in the division with a positive run differential at plus 26. Uh, the Guardians are in second at 14 and 15, three games back. Kind of a surprise to me that they haven't played so well to start the year. They're four and six in their last 10, maybe just needing one guy to, to uh, cement the rotation, that being Tristan McKenzie. If they get him back soon, they will probably be back to their normal selves, just like some other teams in the league have been, and I'll talk about who exactly I have in mind later. Uh, but the Guardians, they will probably figure it out at some point. And the fact of the matter is, when you look at the bottom three teams of this division, they're not really going to be challenged uh, for that second-place spot anytime soon. Speaking of the bottom three teams in this division, you have the Detroit Tigers, who are 10-17 and 17 on the season. You have the Chicago White Sox, who are 8-21 on the season. And you have the Royals, who are 7-22 on the season. The White Sox somehow went 1-9 in their last 10, and the Royals are still below them in the standings. A minus 65 and minus 64 run differential for the White Sox and the Royals. Did not think the Tigers would be in third place, but if you had told me they would be they would be 10 and 17, wouldn't really be surprised. But that's third place. That's how bad the AL Central has been this year. Um, we'll see what happens later in the year, but for now, definitely still the weakest division in baseball, um, as it has been for maybe some maybe two or three years at this point. Uh, but Let's move on from the AL Central, very weak division, to the AL West, a very strong division, except for the last place team. Uh, the Rangers are in first in the AL in the AL West, 17-11 on the season. Their pitching staff has held up pretty well. They haven't gotten any injuries yet. Nathan Eovaldi pitched a complete game shutout over the weekend. Uh, DeGrom was removed from a start, I should say, so that might be an injury. We don't know what's going on with that yet, I don't believe. I haven't seen an injury update. Um, but I might I haven't really looked for it, so maybe there is one out and I just didn't see it. Uh, but DeGrom has pitched well for them so far. Their whole pitching staff has just been doing its job, and their run support is insane. The only team they have less runs scored than in the entire league, the Tampa Bay Rays. So you put that number out there, you put 178 runs up on the board in their first 28 games, and it is really hard to beat a team that even just has an okay pitching staff, but this team has definitely a, a well-above-average pitching staff, and as a result, they are first place in their division ahead of the Astros, although I will say the Rangers, they've won three in a row, but they were 5-5 five and five in their last 10, so they definitely had a, a slump for a little bit. But the Astros, they're starting to catch up. They're starting to catch fire this season. 16-13 and 13 on the year. Yeah, they lost the weekend series to the Phillies, but they're 7-3 and three in their last 10 overall, and they won the last game of that series and parlayed that into a Monday victory against the Giants. Um, there were just one and a half games back in the division. They are, you know, the defending champs, so we're expecting them to do big things, as always. Um, and I really still think that they're probably going to win this division by the end of the season. But we'll just have to see what happens. The Rangers definitely are going to be a worthy opponent in terms of that race. And speaking of worthy opponents, the Angels. They've finally seemed to kind of put it together. 15-14 on the season. Their pitching staff could be doing a little bit better other than Otani, but, um, you know, 148 runs scored is a pretty respectable number. It's kind of, it's up there in the American League. It's better than any team in the Central. Uh, it's one better than the Orioles, so they are the third, they are the second best offense, or the third best offense, excuse me, in the American League. Um, but that number on the pitching end, only a plus 18 run differential when you are the third best offensive team in the American League is not great. Um, that's something that they're going to have to improve. They should look for more pitching at the deadline because their staff just really isn't cutting it right now. I don't know 
what exactly the main area they need to target is, but they got to figure something out because they can't waste away um, Judge and Otani's prime years as they have in the last few years. They This is really the year for them to strike. This is the year that they put in all the money, and this is the year that they really need to win, especially because Otani is going to be a free agent in the summer if they don't ink him to an extension. Um, so then at the bottom of this division, you have the Mariners who are 12 and 16. They are off to a really bad start this year. I mean, you can't put it any other way. Just kind of surprising after, you know, a team with a young core is able to pull off a miraculous, I wouldn't say miraculous, but pull off a playoff run, um, get into the playoffs for the first time in a very long time, breaking their drought. They're kind of like the Kings. Like if the Kings end up next year, I don't know, like 40 and 42, it'd be surprising to me in the same way that the Mariners being 12 and 16 at this point in the year is surprising, but they still have so many games to figure it out. And I think they will eventually. Um, so I have faith that the Mariners turn it around by the end of the season. But for now, in fourth place in the division. And then finally, in last, you have the Oakland A's, 6-23, minus 117 run differential. Need I say more, they are not a good team. Uh, that is all I have for the AL. Let's move on to the NL now, starting in the NL East, where the Braves are 19-10. This is a better. This is one of the better divisions in baseball, as expected. Um, they're just 5-5 five and five in their last 10, so kind of on cruise control a little bit. Something that's worrying is that Ronald Acuna was hit with a ball in the shoulder and then left the game immediately after um, yesterday, so you hope that he's all right because he is having an MVP-level season already, stealing a bunch of bases, hitting a bunch of home runs, doing all the things that the Braves uh, have expected him to do and that he has done every single time he's been healthy in his career. And then you have the Mets who are in second. They are 16-13, and 13, tied with the Miami Marlins, who are also 16-13, and 13. Mets on a little bit of a slide recently, 4-6 and six in their last 10, while the Marlins are 6-4 and four in their last 10, winning four in a row. A minus 35 run differential for a 16-13 and 13 team is very, very odd. Um, there are two teams, excuse me, there's one team with a worse run differential in the NL than the Marlins, and it's the Rockies. The Giants have a better run differential. The Reds have a better run differential. The Cardinals have a better run differential. The Nationals have a better run differential. But somehow the Marlins are 16-13. and 13. I don't know how long it's going to last because that would indicate that it shouldn't, um, that run differential metric. But at the same time, if they're going to get wins, I'm going to be happy for them. They're a little bit of an underdog story there in the NL East, and I'd be happy to see them make the playoffs uh, as long as it's not at the expense of the Dodgers. Uh, for obvious reasons. Um, but then you have the Phillies, who have heated up recently, but they're still only at 515 and 15 on the year. They are 7-3 and three in their last 10. They did lose a big game. Not a big game, but they did lose by a lot to the Dodgers yesterday. But the most important news of the week, they're getting Bryce Harper back all of a sudden. He's taken 160 or so days, and now all of a sudden he's returning from Tommy John surgery. A very, very speedy recovery. Happy for Bryce that he's able to have such a speedy recovery. Uh, but just really, really surprising that he's already going to be back. Um, and look, I got nothing else to say about it. I'm just surprised, but I'm happy for him for sure. Um, and then in the last place in this division, you have the Nationals who are 10 and 18. Not maybe as horrible as I predicted them to be or expected them to be, but they're still a pretty bad team. Not really any disparaging comments about them that I have. Um, no hate towards them. They're just kind of in rebuild mode right now, and we know that. They know that. Um, not not a horrible performance. They're in a tough division anyway, so they get the benefit of the doubt a little bit. 
But if you want to talk about teams that don't get the benefit of the doubt, wait till we get to the bottom of the NL Central. But let's start at the top with the Pittsburgh Pirates. They are 20-9 and on the season, the second-best record in MLB. Never thought I'd say that sentence. Uh, the only team that has sc- actually, yeah, the only team that has scored more runs than them in the NL, the Los Angeles Dodgers. They are. They also have great pitching staff. They have the best run differential in the NL overall. Um, although there's one team in this division that's barely behind them. That'll get to in a second. Eight and two in their last ten. They lost their last game. And then the other loss was a loss in the middle of the series to the Dodgers. But this team has just been hot uh, for a long time, and they don't really show any signs of slowing down. This is all without significant contributions from O'Neill Cruz and really Cabrian Hayes to an extent as well. So they can get better. Hayes can play better throughout the season. Cruz will come back eventually, and they can be even better than they are now. I don't think that they're going to end the year with a 700 winning percentage, but they're they're building a good enough record that this could be a, a solid 95 to 100 win team. Um, if they're key, if they keep playing like this and then get those guys back and maybe make some moves at the deadline as well, um, with the vast prospect capital they have from being sellers at the deadline for a few years now, then you have the Brewers in second, 18 and 10. I thought they might be sellers by deadline time, but they're not going to be. It looks like um, they've played well this season. I don't really have any specific comments about them. Their run, their runs allowed number is the lowest in the National League, so that pitching staff is as good as advertised. Um, and that's really the thing that's fueling their team as we knew it had to, but they performed up to expectations, maybe a little bit above. So good for the Brewers. Then you have the Cubs. They're 15 and 13. They have the second best run differential in the National League. Only one run behind the Pirates. They've been very good to start the season. I think they're going to keep it up. I trust that the Cubs can make a run at a wild card spot. They might be able to knock off one of the other surprise teams like the Diamondbacks and the Marlins or even one of the teams that's dealing with injury issues like the Phillies. Um, we'll just have to see what happens at the end of the season. Right now, I think they're kind of battling for that position. But then you have the Reds. They're 12-17. and 17. Honestly, again, like the Nationals, not as bad as I expected them to be. Um, the Reds maybe get even more of the benefit of the doubt because they have a, a, a better win percentage by a pretty good amount than the Nationals do, and I expect those teams to be about the same level. Um, but then... Bottom of the division, this is where you don't get any benefit of the doubt. The Cardinals, they got swept over the weekend by the Dodgers. 2-8 and eight in their last 10. They are 10-19, and 19, 10 games back of first on May 2nd. This is not something that you expected from the Cardinals at all. I expected them to win this division. I was told that this lineup was the best in baseball. I didn't believe the hype in the first place. But I will say that people had convinced me that these guys were going to come out and hit so well. Um... They they have hit lefties well, but overall, they are not that great of a hitting team, and as a result, they are not a good team, period. Their pitching staff, as we know, is weak, and because of that, when they don't hit well, they don't win games, and they're hitting at an average level in the National League, in MLB overall, they can't hit at an, at an average level and still win. Their pitching staff is not built for that. They need to outscore their opponents by scoring a lot of runs, not by winning close pitching duels, not by winning four to three games. They need to be winning 10 to seven. That's their type of a game. And they just haven't even been able, when their pitching staff has had blow up games, they can't pick them up. They haven't been able to pick those staff uh, members up. And on the other hand, even when their pitching staff has pitched okay, they don't win those games either. So they need to figure something out. I don't know what it is. 
But speaking of figuring things out, the Dodgers have figured it out once their players stopped all being on paternity list at the same time. And uh, once some players stopped being injured, Will Smith came back from a concussion recently. The Dodgers have now caught fire a little bit here, have won four in a row, seven and three in their last ten. Um, no different than the Padres, who are in third in the division. I'll get back to the Diamondbacks in a second. Uh, but they are 16 and 14. They've won three in a row. They are seven and three in their last ten, although, you know, playing the Giants, that will happen. The Dodgers have played the Cardinals and the Phillies while amassing their win streak. Um, but overall, those two teams, looks like they're going to be climbing back to the top of the division as expected at the beginning of the year. Dodgers number one in runs scored in the National League after a 13, 13 run performance yesterday. Then you have the Diamondbacks who are 16 and 13, a half game back. Five and five in their last 10, they've cooled off a little bit. Um, I still think they can play at this level for the rest of the year, but maybe they're definitely not going to win the division, but it does look like they can still be a solid wild card contender team. They should end the year above 500 in my opinion. Um, and then the bottom of this division, you have the Giants, who are five games back at 11 and 17. They have lost four in a row. They're five and five in their last 10. And the Rockies, who are nine and 20, one of the worst teams in the league. The second, or well, the, the worst run, sorry, the worst perform, win percentage in the National League, but they would be uh, fourth worst in the American League, which makes them fourth worst in MLB because... The White Sox, the Royals, and the A's are all even worse than that. Uh, but going back to the Giants for a second, I would like to mention that if they had won one of those games in Mexico against the Padres, there was a point in that series where they were 11-13. and 13. The Padres were 13-14, and 14, I believe. And if the Giants had won that game, they would have been 12-13, 12, um, 12 and 13, and they would have been tied with the Padres in the division but all of a sudden, they're four games back of the Padres because they lost that series and then lost yesterday to the Astros. So, not the greatest result for the Giants. Kind of what we expected, though, out of this team. But that's all I got for the NL West, and that means that's all I got for the podcast. Pretty long podcast today, but that wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, May 2nd. We will probably be a little bit shorter unless we... Uh, put the NHL in there, which I will consider because I have been watching those games enough to actually comment on them. Uh, now that we have fewer games in the NBA, that might be a consideration. But for sure, what we will have next week is a recap of my weekend predictions, our review of NBA playoff action, and our weekly look at MLB. All of that on Tuesday, uh, May 9th. I think I said May 2nd earlier, but May 9th, May 2nd is today. Um, but in the meantime, be sure to check out my additional content, including my picks for next weekend's games that will be posted as always on Thursday and my MLB power rankings that will be updated on Wednesdays, which that's tomorrow. Um, all of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.